Get your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 15. We're in a series of messages um, that I called, or we called really, Homecoming. And we've been talking about the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And um, the context is Jesus was actually hanging out at extended dinner with some sinners. And the religious people, the Pharisees, were just indignant. They're just like, my goodness, how, how can he do this? This makes us all look bad, essentially. And Jesus responds to their religiosity with three stories. The, the shepherd who had lost the sheep, left the 99 to get the one. The widow who had 10 coins, lost one, set nine aside, swept the house until she found the one. And, um, and then the pro- what we know is the prodigal son. These are all parables, meaning they are stories Jesus... Parable really means story thrown alongside truth. So really, Jesus is telling a story to get us to truth, to help us understand truth. And, um, and so the, the prodigal son is about, you know, a, a father had two sons and the younger said, give me my inheritance. And he leaves home, goes to Vegas, has a wild party, ends up blowing all of his inheritance. And now he's feeding pigs. He's in the food service industry. And, um, and so, and so, um, and so we, we call, uh, we call this series homecoming because eventually he comes to himself and he comes home and, um, and I, you know, what's crazy is I, I probably preached I, at least 50 something messages on the prodigal son. And the reason is, I mean, the first series I ever did when we started the church was called Welcome Home. And it was all about the prodigal son. And really the, 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 the whole series, in fact, I've kind of re-preached that series a couple times in the history of the church. And it's all about the grace of Jesus, about the goodness of Jesus that you see in, in this parable. And um, really, when the Holy Spirit said, I want you to preach, you know, Luke 15 um, this fall, I was so excited because I thought, oh, we're going to talk about the grace of Jesus. And I love to talk about the grace of Jesus. And uh, but then as I tried to write the messages and I looked, none of the messages worked. And I've got I've got a lot of messages (laughs) and everything that I did just got reorganized around the presence of God. And so the first week we talked about leaving home or leaving the presence of the Father. Last week we talked about coming home to the presence of the Father. And this week, now this, this message, remember, it's called homecoming. So we called it the away game and the home game. And it's called homecoming. So this week's message is called the breakup. And um, yeah, anybody ever have a breakup? <laughs> anybody have a breakup at homecoming? <laughs> anyway, it's a bummer. And so anyways... Um, <clears throat> And, uh, but, but it's, it's about the presence of God. It's about the presence of the father. And, and so in Luke chapter 15, we're going to talk today mostly about the older son, uh, the older son. And, uh, so if you, you know, I kind of told you the story, but you know, the younger son asked his father for his inheritance, leaves, goes to Vegas, wastes all of his money, ends up feeding pigs. And then he says, I'm going to arise and I'm going to go home to my father and I'm going to tell him, I'm so sorry. I've sinned against you and against heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I love the grace of this picture. He said, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me a servant. So he comes home saying, you know, do you, you know Father, just make, make me a servant. And what is so beautiful to me is he's, I, I can just see him walk home from the pig pen, rehearsing this speech, how he's going to apologize and say, make me a servant. And he gets home and his father runs to, it's the only, it's the only, um, place in scripture, you see the father run and it's to the son who'd screwed up the most. I don't know about you. That helps my heart. You know what I'm saying? Like, like God is not standing at home saying, where's the money? 
I told you so. God is not a I told you so God. He's a welcome home God. Um, and, and, and so, and I love it. And I talked about this last week, but it's just worth mentioning because he, he comes home with this welcome speech. You know, this, this, I'm sorry, this, I'm sorry speech of, of sin, no longer worthy of your son, make me like hire, your hired servant. And, and the father, if you read the text, the father interrupts his speech with his own speech, bring out the robe and, and the ring and the sandals and kill the fatted calf. My, my son is home. And, and I realized, think about this. The son had been practicing his I'm sorry speech since he left the pig pen. And the father had been practicing his I'm welcome home speech since the son left his house. If you're away today, he has a welcome home speech. And he's been practicing that longer since the day you left. He's been practicing that speech. And it's not an I told you. And it's not where's the money. And it's not look what you did. It's welcome home. It's welcome home. I, I just love it. So we're, but anyways, we're going to talk about the, the older son. So we're going to pick up. So, so they, you know, the younger son comes home. The mother goes to draw the bath. That's why she's not mentioned because he was stinky. And she's like, you're not coming in my house and sitting on my furniture like that. And um, how many had a mama's like, no, you don't sit on my furniture like that. Yes. <clears throat> And so, um, so she goes to draw the bath. And then meanwhile, back at the ranch, verse 25, it starts, meanwhile, it just cracks me up. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. It is good dancing if you can hear it. <laughs> now you can hear me dance, not because I'm good at it, but because bones pop when I start trying to move that way. So the older son called to a servant and said, hey, what's going on? And the servant said, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him safe and sound. Now we know this is in Texas because of the barbecue. Verse 28, the older brother came, became angry. Look at this. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Now, now time out just a minute. Let me show you how religion makes you dumb. He, he said, I've never transgressed your commandment. That's a lie because his father told him to go into the party. right? Then he said, you never gave me a young goat. If you go back a few verses and read, it said, the father divided to them their inheritance. And he's the older son. So he would have gotten, by Jewish law, he would have gotten 66%, two thirds. In other words, he got two goats for every one goat the other son got, but he had never received it. And so it just, it just shows you that, you know, religion just kind of makes you dumb, you know, because you, you start comparing and telling the father what you will and won't do and what's right and wrong. And Amen. anyways, verse 30, but then this son of yours, by the way, religion always compares, but when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are, oh, look at this man, grace. You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. 
But we had to celebrate. I love it because Jesus knows when to celebrate. We had to celebrate. We had to be glad. By the way, this would have been offensive to the Pharisees because there, Jesus, you know, says there's a celebration in heaven when a sinner repents. The Pharisees had a phrase, there's a celebration in heaven when a sinner is judged or damned. Religion's not good. He said, you're always with me. But we had to celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. Please note that death is away from the presence and life is in the presence of the Father. And he was lost and is found. Let's, let's pray and try to work, work this out. Um, Jesus, we, we want to see you, but God, we want to hear you today. Holy Spirit, um, just open our ears and limit the distractions. Help us to focus and, and don't let us hang on every word. Don't let us miss anything that you want to tell us today. Don't let us miss this moment of being transformed um, in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a Bible school professor uh, was asked one time by a student, how many points does a good sermon have? The professor thought for a minute and replied, at least one. I don't know that I have a sermon today. I really just have one point. I have other points, but really there's just one point to this whole message today. Um, and that is this, that the aim of grace is encounter. Amen. The aim of grace is encounter. And when I wrote that, um, I got to think it because I thought I was trying to figure out how to express, I don't know, you're probably this way, but God does stuff in here. And then like, if you're a pastor, you want to try to explain it. So you got to try to put a language to what just happened in here. Yeah. Right. I think this is when you see revelations, like his, his eyes, what were his eyes like? Well, they were like flames of fire and there was like a sword coming out of his mouth. I mean, he's just trying to put language to what this encounter was he just had, right? And, and I thought about this, how grace leads to encounter. And every time I preach on prodigal son, really I focus on the grace. This time I focus more on the presence because grace, the, the, the greatest benefit of grace is presence. Grace is aimed at presence. Grace is aimed at encounter. And, and when I first wrote it out, I wrote, grace is aimed at relationship. And it fell flat. And, and I'll tell you why. Now, most people, if you hung out with church or hung out at a church, you've heard, you know, Jesus came so we could have a relationship with God. Has anybody ever heard that before? Yes. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. But, but the reason I couldn't leave it there was because I thought, yes, he came so we have a relationship. And a lot of people that are going to be in churches today have a relationship. But then I said, we need to be honest. You can have a bad relationship. Okay, brace for impact. There are a lot of people in church today and you have a relationship with God, but it's a bad relationship. You're as distant as you can be. You're mad at him about something that he didn't do. And, and the truth of it is, you do have a relationship. I mean, thank God for grace. The son was still a son when he was in a pig pen, but he wasn't in the presence of the father. He wasn't having an encounter with the father. He was still a son, but he was distant. And so the truth is, I, the reason I couldn't leave it was grace is aimed at a relationship because I thought it is, but what kind of relationship? Like I needed, I needed to qualify that in, in the context of the world today because there are a lot of people, hey, listen, 
There are a lot of people claiming to have relationships with God today that I'm like, I don't know that, that he's the same one I know. Like, do you remember when Israel was in the wilderness and they decided to make a calf and name it God? I think a lot of people have made their own God and named him and they have a God that, oh, let me be nice. They have a God that understands how they want to live. I mean, it's almost like they've told their God how they want to live and their God's okay with it. But I'm not sure that's the God. I mean, you work that out, but you know, you have bad, I mean, there were this group of people in the Bible that Jesus looks at and he says, hey, there's going to be some people on that day that say, Lord, Lord, I cast out demons in your name and I did miracles in your name. And Jesus is going to say, I, I didn't know you. There are going to be people that say, I thought I had a relationship. And he's like, it wasn't even a bad one. It didn't exist. And, and, and by the way, can I just spin that the other way for just a minute? If Jesus declared there would be a group of people that had no relationship with him, but in his name, delivered, like cast out demons and did miracles, then why do the people who claim to have a relationship not want to walk in that same power? Like if people without a relationship with Jesus were casting out demons and doing miracles, then if we have a relationship with Jesus, shouldn't we be saying, I should be out there casting out demons and doing miracles? You say, well, I'm not good at it. There's no place in the Bible where Jesus qualifies with only do the parts of this you're good at. Like, love your neighbor. I'm not good at that. Oh, okay. Well, let's find something you're good at. Listen, this, this isn't first grade gym class. This is the kingdom of God, okay? And so, <laughs> oh man. And so anyways, um, the reason I want to say that grace is aimed at encounters because like in, in my life, I've, I've had a relationship with God in some way or another, probably since I was five when I prayed to receive Christ. But there were some times in my teenage years that it was a bad relationship. And, and I'll be honest, in my, in my adult life, there have been times it wasn't a good relationship. And I'll be honest, as a pastor, there, there have been times that I didn't have the best relationship with God. And so I didn't want to call it relationship because the heart was that grace makes it impossible, not, not just for me to know about the Father, have a relationship. It makes it impossible for me to have an encounter with the Father, to encounter his grace, to encounter his goodness, to, to be close to him. And, and can I tell you the biggest tragedy that I see in Luke chapter 15 is not the son that went away from home. The biggest tragedy is the older brother who stayed at home and still never knew the Father. That's right. Yes. It's the people in church that haven't met God. Like that's the greatest tragedy to me that that I see in this text. That's where this burden lands. Because listen, grace compels, not just compels, but maybe calls would be better. Grace calls us into encounter with Jesus. It calls Hebrews 4, seeing then we have this high priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Right? Let us hold fast our confession for this high priest that we have was tempted in all ways such as us, yet without sin. Therefore, why? Because Jesus has done the work. Jesus has paid for the sin. 
Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. Here's what it's saying. Jesus did the work and now he calls us all in to meet the Father. He calls us into the living room. He calls us into the throne room. Like this is the benefit of grace is that we get the presence of the Father. We get to be near him. We get to know him and grace beckons us. Come know the Father and please notice he is sitting on a throne of grace, not of judgment. He's saying, hey, you don't have to apologize your way in. You don't have to earn your way in. You just have to respond to my goodness, my grace, and come on into my living room and encounter me. I mean, what's so amazing about grace isn't is just that that we get forgiveness and, and it even, it's not even that we get inheritance. What's so amazing about grace is that we get him. Yes. We get him. And so, so grace calls us into encounter. And I thought, well then, you know, what is the enemy of encounter? I'm looking at Luke 15 and I'm like, oh, it's the obvious. It's always the enemy of encounter. The, the enemy of encounter is self-sufficiency. The enemy of encounter is always self-sufficiency. Um, that, that's actually, when you look at it, <laughs> when you look at the, Luke 15 and, and the two sons, they were both self-sufficient. It just looks different. Let me explain. The younger son was self-sufficient and said, I want to do it my way. So that looked like self-indulgence. The older son was self-sufficient and said, I want to do it my way. And that looked like self-righteousness. But they were both self-sufficient. Just in two different ways. One in lawlessness. One in legalism. See, grace is neither. Grace is not lawlessness. It's not like, hey, I'm under grace. Let's party. No, 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 no. Sorry. No. <laughs> Ethel, get your purse. He shook his hips. <laughs> Something's wrong with that boy. Hang on, Merle. It's going to be okay. Um, but, but the enemy of grace is always self-sufficient. So in Romans 7, I'm going to do a little bit of teaching because I think it will help. In Romans 7, Paul is talking about, and he's talking about grace, and he's talking about, he's talking to the church of Rome, and he's trying to get them to understand the difference between law and grace and being trapped in the law and how we get to grace. And so in, in Romans chapter 7, he gives an analogy based on marriage, okay? And, and, and I want to read this, and I want to show you this. It says, um, do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law. So he's talking to the religious people. That the law has authority over someone as long as that person lives. So good news, once you die, you can't be arrested for anything, okay? Um, for example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she's released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sex with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and not an adulteress if she marries another man. 
So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Jesus that you might belong to another, to him who raised from the dead, who, who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit to death. But now, but now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit. So here's what Paul's saying. He's like, hey, we were born under the law. So he likens it to being married to the law, right? And here's what you need to understand about the law. The law is right. It is holy. It is perfect, right? But the law is never passing away. Jesus said, I didn't come to end the law. The law is going to stand forever. I came to fulfill it. So the law doesn't pass away. So here's what he's saying. He's like, you're married. You're born. You're married to the law. Now, let me just real quick. Let's think about the kind of husband that the law is. Well, what is the law's job? Remember, the law's job is to tell you what you did wrong. Right? So, so the law was given, Paul said, to impute sin. That word pute means to give you credit for. In other words, all sinned, but they didn't know it because there was no law that said, hey, that's sin. So the law was given so we would know we sinned. So the job of the law is you did that wrong, you did that wrong, you did that wrong, you did that. Now, by the way, we're talking about marriage and the law and you did that. So everybody just eyes forward, sir, don't breathe right now, okay? So because being married to the law is like being married to a nag. Straight ahead. <laughs> don't breathe. Wives, do not, none of these. <laughs> no rib checks. But that's the job of the law. The job of the law is to make sure you know you did it wrong, to make sure you know you're not perfect. It's to give you credit for the sin that you are committing. And it's actually the law. Now, sin separates us from God. We know that Isaiah, God said, your sin has separated you from me. So we know sin separates us from God, but the law actually holds you in sin. So the law holds you at a distance. It holds you away from God. Here he's saying you can be married to the law or you can be married to Jesus. Like over here, it's not like you're married to God. No, you're married to the law. Jesus came so you could be married to him, right? But the law tells us, hey, you're a sinner. Hey, you didn't do it right. Hey, you need a savior. The law points us to Jesus. In other words, the law said there's another husband out there, right? But, but we're married to the law. And that's why we need grace because Jesus comes and he dies so that we can die in him. And he said this, since the law is never gonna pass away and you are married to the law, you had to have Jesus come pay for your sin and die your death and be resurrected. So as Paul said in Romans 6, now because he died, I can die in him. And having died, I'm now free to marry Jesus. I'm now free for this. Now I can encounter him. I can die in him, encounter him. Because until I die, I'm under law. Yeah. Are you with me? Yeah. So that's why this new birth is first to death. Like I, I died to myself. I called this the, the breakup. I'm not sure if, if we need to break up with the law or break up with ourselves, but until you break up with the law and yourself, you can't be married to Jesus. Because the law, why could the law not save you? Listen to this. Why could the law not save you? Because it depended on you. Paul said in Romans 8, the law is weak by the flesh, 
So it can't make us right with God. The law, no one's going to be made right with God because first of all, you'd have to be perfect and no one's perfect. And the reason, the reason you can't be right with God is not because God, not because the law, but because of us, our flesh messed up and weak. I mean, in Romans 7, Paul's like, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. What a wretched man. Has anybody ever had that day? Right? And so, and so here's what he's saying. This is the beautiful thing about Jesus. The law, by, by the work of the law, no one will be made right with God. But yet in Jesus, righteousness is a gift we receive by faith. So the law is a relationship or an encounter with God by works. Whereas grace is an encounter with Jesus by faith. Now, all of us would understand we're in the new covenant today, so we're under grace. And isn't it great that now that we're all under grace, no one ever tries to serve God by the law anymore? Isn't that great that we're never tempted to mix law and grace? Isn't that great? We've never gone to church with somebody that explained the dress code. That talked to us about what tattoos were permitted and what tattoos were not permitted. Isn't that great? We've never been invited to a Bible study where they explain we can't dress this way, talk this way, act this way. It's kind of like the jailer when he said, Paul, what must I do to be saved? And Silas jumps in and says, well, let me hang on. You're going to have to give up four-letter words, and that's the first thing. And uh, your wife's dress is too short. That's never going to work at our church. And um, also, uh, she either can't, either, depending on your denomination, either you can't wear makeup or you wear too much. I don't know. Depending, I've seen both denominations. Come on, y'all. Let's have a little fun at church. I have been to the church where it's like, is there a convention in town? Like a clown one. And I have been... Listen, and I've been in the church where nobody wears it. And I, here's what I'm saying. I don't care about makeup. I don't think Jesus does. If the barn needs painting, paint the barn. I'm just saying. <laughs> Y'all be nice. <laughs> Ethel gets you first. Anyways. Um, I'm just saying, I don't think, I don't think she's worried about all that. Right. But, but we've been in those churches where it's like, as soon as you get saved, somebody has got to tell you all the rules that you have to follow to stay saved. Right. Have you ever had people explain like you're saved by grace, but if you want to stay saved, you know, then you got to dress this way and you got to talk this way and come on, Aerosmith, you got to walk this way, talk this way. Anyways, um, and you can't listen to Aerosmiths of the devil. <laughs> Play all those rock records backwards and it says, I love the devil. I love the devil. <laughs> Woo, I better go on with my outline. The point is, isn't it great that we no longer deal with law in the church anymore? Isn't that great? In, in fact, the churches of Galatia had the same problem, saved by grace, struggling with law. Because the problem is we've been under law for so long, we've been under performance for so long that we get saved by the grace of Jesus and we're in love with him. And then we start learning 
how to live holy, and you should. Grace teaches us to deny godliness. Grace teaches us to live a holy life. But we start learning the rules, right? We start learning the rules. And sooner or later, we start depending on our goodness to maintain our relationship with Jesus, like, well, I didn't look at porn this week. It ought to be a good service. You know, I, I didn't, I, I went to life group this week. God's going to bless me. I tithe this week. And all of a sudden we, we learn the rules. And because now we know the rules, we don't pursue the relationship. Because we know the rules. Like I know how to be a good Christian. And we start battling and we do like the, the churches of Galatia. We start mixing law and grace. How do I know I'm mixing law and grace? Because when you pray, you remind God of how good you've been because you're trying to get something from him. Yeah. Or you pray and you compare your holy life to someone else's holy life because they got something that you didn't get that you want. But isn't it good? We've been freed from the law. And the churches of Galatia were having this problem. There were six churches in, in Asia Minor, and this is where we get the book of Galatians because they were churches of Galatia. But I want to read, I want to read what Paul wrote to them from the message because I thought it was very applicable. Here's what he says. Uh, Galatians 3, this is the message translation. He says, you crazy Texans. <laughs> well, I mean, the Galatians were from Galatia. You are from Texas. You are Texans. Unless you're watching from Alaska, hello, you know, hello, Alaska, and crazy Alaskans. You know, you can put your state in there. Um, I'm just, we're from Texas, where the stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the, come on, everybody, we're having church now. Woo! I love y'all. Y'all are amazing. <laughs> That was pathway people. They're like, we have an ADD pastor, but he's entertaining. Everybody clap along. <laughs> so anyways, um, <laughs> this is what he says. You crazy Texans. Look at this. Did someone put a hex on you? Some versions say spell. I'm going to put a spell on you. Did someone put a hex on you? Have, have you taken leave of your, look what he says. Have you taken leave of your senses? Something crazy has happened for it's obvious that you no longer have the crucified Jesus in clear focus in your lives. Oh man. His sacrifice on the cross was certainly set before you clearly enough. Let me put this question to you. How did your new life begin? Was it working your heads off to please God or was it by responding to God's message to you? Are you going to continue this craziness? For only, look at this, only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. If you weren't smart enough or strong enough to begin it, how do you suppose you can perfect it? That's good, Paul. You know what, you know what he's saying? Because Romans 7, Romans 7 is giving this illustration. You're married to the law, but you can die and be married to Jesus. You know what Paul's telling the Galatians? He's saying it like this. Why are you now trying to know your new husband by working to please your old husband? <laughs> Come on, y'all. Wouldn't it be insanity, really, 
You know, like if you, know, you have a wife, she's been married before, she's married to a husband, and she comes in to her husband and says, you know, um, I've been going to my ex-husband's house and washing his laundry, doing his dishes and cooking dinner because I really thought that would make our relationship better. <laughs> How many knows that's not going to go well? <laughs> She's saying, you know, I really thought I could know you better if I went and cooked his favorite food. And I'm afraid sometimes because we get saved by grace and then we learn the rules, sometimes we're telling Jesus, I want to know you by serving my old husband. And we stand over here when grace is calling us into encounter, we stand over and say, well, I watched the live stream. Well, I went to life group. Well, I tithe this week. And grace is saying, come know me. And we're over here saying, I didn't sin. They cut me off. I didn't flip them off, <laughs> which is a big struggle, you know, for some people. Give them the California wave, you know, yeah. praise the Lord. Tell them, and I'm just saying, I'm just saying, and, and, and I thought to myself, I thought, I wonder how this, why is it that having this, this invitation of grace, we end up choosing law? And this is what I thought. Some people like the older son or the younger son Sometimes we're just more comfortable at a distance. Sometimes the scorecard's just easier here. Here's what I did. Here's what I didn't. Well, I did more good than bad, so I'm okay. See, the, the, the sad thing that we miss sometimes is grace requires more. And I think sometimes we choose law because law requires less. Let me explain. Under the law, you bring a sacrifice. Under grace, you are the sacrifice. Sometimes it's just easier to bring a lamb than to bring yourself. Sometimes it's easy to bring a turtle dove than to bring your relationship. Sometimes it's easy to bring a calf than to bring your pocketbook. Sometimes it's easier to bring your sacrifice than, than to serve. Sometimes it's easy to bring an offering than to crucify the flesh. And, 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 you know, <laughs> I laugh sometimes because as a pastor, you get these. And, you know, pastor, I don't believe in tithing because I'm under grace. I'm like, oh, man, that's wonderful. Because you understand tithing is where I give the first 10% of my income to the Lord. Under grace in the New Testament, they brought all that they had and laid it at the disciples' feet. So if you want to give under grace, empty all of your accounts and take it to an elder. Boy, that got quiet in here. <laughs> but the truth is that, that grace, grace requires more. And, 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 and my concern is that, that sometimes we're just more comfortable being self-sufficient than God-dependent. And I even thought about like the church and society and I thought about, you know, now even with, with church, and, and this hit me, so I, I'm, I'm on the altar too. Like we're all, if the sheep are getting sheared, I'm getting sheared too, okay? But I thought, you know, we don't need presents anymore. We have production. Now, I'm all for production. I like pretty lights. I like that stuff. We're not getting rid of our lights. But I'm just saying, 
all the pretty, I think sometimes was to supplement there was no power. I probably shouldn't have said that. And, and then I thought, and again, you know, I'm going to say just enough that you can totally take it out of context and butcher me with it if that's what you want to do. But we don't need miracles. We have medicine. Now, I'm all for medical professionals. I thank God for doctors and nurses. I think that God heals naturally. I think God heals through medicine. And I think God heals supernaturally, miraculously, okay? And when I'm sick, I go to the doctor. And I thank God for my doctor, okay? So I'm not saying we shouldn't go to the doctor. I'm saying that I'm talking about being self-reliant. Self-reliant. You know, because I've been to the countries where they don't have medicine. So they, they have to cry out for God for miracles. And they see more miracles because they have nothing else to rely on, right? I thought about this. We don't need freedom anymore. We have coping skills. Because you understand, everything's in his presence, right? Well, well, here's one. We don't need the spirit of truth. I have my own truth. And, and I just, <laughs> my concern is that we're over here telling Jesus he's going to be happy with how we've chosen to relate to him instead of knowing him. Like, like that's, like the aim of grace is encounter. It, it's not sin without consequence. It's relationship without distance. It's intimacy. Yes. Like that, that, that's, that's the aim. It's the fact that I can know him. Um, so what's the path to encounter? Well, it's obvious then if it's self-sufficiency, the entry, then surrender is the path. See, the two sons, we know the younger son surrenders. He comes home. I'm God, Father, here I am, whatever. Like, I just want to be near you, right? And then we have the older son. We're not sure. He won't go into the party. So we never really find out if he surrendered or not. You know, sometimes it's harder for the self-righteous to surrender than the self-indulgent. And, and so they, they, here they are. The Father is both inviting them into this place of grace. But you have to surrender. Think about this. How, how do you get a relationship with Jesus? Well, righteousness is a gift, but you can't have a gift unless you surrender to the will of the giver. If, if, I, if you want to receive a gift from me, you have to surrender to my will. I'm willing you something, and you have to be willing to receive it. So, so the way we come into relationship with Jesus is surrender. Well, how do we grow in relationship with Jesus? Through surrender. How do we move into encounter? Through surrender. Like if I want to encounter Jesus, I, I have to surrender. This is what Paul says. He says, you are married to the law, but look, you can die. The law's not going to die, but you can die. And if you die to the law, you're free to know Jesus. You're free to encounter Jesus, yeah. right? You give up your self-sufficiency and you become dependent upon God, dependent upon the account. You get, you get to encounter him. You get to, you get to know Jesus. And, and you do that, you do it through, through surrender. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. This is what Paul tells the, the Philippians. Um, in, in Philippians chapter 3, and I'll paraphrase and still reading the whole thing, but, but he said, hey, I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was born of the tribe of Gen Benjamin, of the law. I was blameless. I mean, he goes through his, 
spiritual, self-reliant accolades. Like I've been as good as anybody could do. And then this is where it gets to. But he said, all those things I used to think counted as something. And this is what he says. But I've considered them all as, depending on your version, rubbish, dung, whatever. I've counted them all as loss, all as rubbish, all as garbage, all as dung. I think that's old King James, but that one kind of is the most clear, right? And, and he said, and here's why, because I want to know Jesus. And I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And he says, I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to be conformed to his image. Like, like he, he's like, I, I just want to, I want to know him. Paul's like, I want to know him. So here's what I had to do. I had to surrender all my self-sufficiency. I had to surrender all my good works. I had to surrender my education. And no, I'm not against education. I have one. It was expensive just like yours. But, but I'm saying, he was saying, I counted all that as loss. Why? Because there's something greater. It's, it's the fact that the aim of this wasn't that I could do good things, but it was that I could know him. That I could have an encounter with him. And the way you, listen to me very carefully, the way you know God is through encounter. Like you can, you, this is what Paul said. There's a difference in knowing about him and knowing him. Like I knew all about him. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. You know, he had the law memorized. You know, I mean, the first five books of the Bible, he had, he had it memorized, right? But he said, I didn't know him. And what's amazing is Paul is writing this and he's saying, I want to know him. And then I thought, well, Paul has had encounters with God. I mean, you, you, you think about all the encounters. I mean, Paul's, Paul's life starts with this crazy, or where his, the text, not his life, but where we pick him up in the Bible is when Stephen is stoned. Yeah. And Paul is holding the cloaks of the Pharisees who are stoning Stephen. And here's this man being stoned saying, don't lay this to their charge, God. Yeah. And then he says, he looks up in heaven and he says, I see the son of God standing at God's right hand. I mean, this is crazy. I thought about this this week. Now, I'll get choked up if I. But we know Jesus is seated at the right hand, but why is he standing there in Acts? Because Jesus stands to receive the martyrs. And I thought this week, Jesus has been standing all week because of Afghanistan and the believers that are being martyred for their faith. And I thought, Jesus, you've been, I was praying for Afghanistan. I said, Jesus, you've been praying, you've been standing all week, haven't you? <clears throat> Anyways. There's a lot I could say there, but I'm not. Jesus has been standing. As people gave their life for what we came to celebrate today. Um, but he, Paul, Paul starts this, I mean, he has that, that's got to be a crazy encounter. And then he's knocked off his horse on the way to Damascus and blinded. That's an encounter. He's taken to the third heaven. He's in a trance about going to Jerusalem. God's talking to him. He has a vision in prison about going to, to Rome. I mean, Paul lived 
if you want to, if you want the pattern or, or 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 the principle of New Testament Christianity, Paul lived from encounter to encounter. I'm going to say this nicely. We want to live from miracle to miracle. Paul wanted to live from encounter to encounter. He said, I want, to, I want to know him. And you know God through encounter. By the way, that's where you get powers. Where the church gets powers through encounter. The commission gives us responsibility and authority. But power always comes from the encounter. We, need, we have a world that needs to encounter Jesus. But truthfully, we have a church that needs to encounter Jesus first. Yes, yes. Amen. And, and I think the church, until we get back to encounter, I don't think we're going to see power. In fact, I was thinking about this this week because I was thinking about the place of encounter. And, you know, we're, we're trying to get people to come back to church and y'all are here and you're wonderful and it's great to see this room at you know, it's great to see all y'all, honestly. Um, and if you're online, we love you. It's, I'm glad you're there, but I can't see you. You can see me and you're blessed because of it, but I can't see you, okay? And so, um, <laughs> but, but I thought about the first place the church is, is named technically in the Bible, because I always look at the first things. And Jacob is, is on the run and has an encounter with God. Yes, yes. And he names the place Bethel, yep. or house of God, or house of bread. He said, this is the house of God. Why was it the house of God? Because it was the place of encounter. This is my burden for our church, because that's the one I'm in charge of. Our, our, our experiences, whether it's a weekend, or a prayer, or students, or, or kids... It's got to be back to a place of encounter. Amen. I think that a lot of the reason why a lot of, I've talked to a lot of pastors, a lot of, like, honestly, I think we're beating the averages <laughs> as far as people coming back to church. But, um, I, 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 you know, I've talked to them and they're like, people aren't coming back. And I'm not, I, they're my friends. I'm not, no indictment against anybody, but I was just wondering, I'm like, well, if people don't know why you come to church, then yeah, it's just as good to watch it online. If it's about receiving the information for the day, you can watch that online. But the truth is, according to the Bible, God meets you differently at his house than at your house. It's not that he's not there. He just, he, there's a house, there's a place where he makes his name known. That's the Bible. The manifestation of his grace and presence is always at his house. And so to me, I'm trying to say, there's some things about coming to church that you don't get staying at home. I'm not trying to, to, to condemn anyone at all. I'm not trying to upset anyone. If you want to email me, email Mark. He loves that. <laughs> but I'm saying there's some things about the house of God that don't happen. Number one, there's community in the house. You, you can't, whatever God's calling is on your life, you can't do it without other people. It's the paradox of purpose. And so God calls you and gives you a purpose and then says, but you got to have somebody else. Even Paul said, please send me John Mark so that I can, so he can minister to me and I can minister to him. Like, I can't do this ministry without John Mark. I mean, I'm in prison, but send me somebody. And, and so, you, you know, there's community and, and there's presence. And then, and then there's the collaborative effort and power and purpose and vision of the church. 
And I'm afraid over the, the last year, we've become the body parts of Jesus and the, the world needs the body of Jesus. And, and so what I look at when I see in the Bible, I'm like, there's supposed to be, the, the house of God is a place of encounter. And this is my heart. Can you hear? Okay, let me just say one more thing because I've heard this and so have my pastor friends and, every, and we're all kind of sick of it. Well, pastor, I don't have to come to church to be a Christian. It's true, very true. You also don't have to go home to be married, but you're not going to have many encounters unless you do. <laughs> Ethel puts your purse down. He's talking about encounters at home. <laughs> Ethel, take some notes, Ethel. <laughs> because when Paul says, when he says, <laughs> let me go a little bit farther. But when Paul says that I would know him, that I would know him, the best picture I can give you from scripture is when Genesis said, and Adam knew his wife and she conceived and bore a son. I'm going to say, Adam wasn't like he knew some information about Eve. I'm going to say there was an encounter. I don't think like God makes Eve out of Adam and <laughs> somebody's like, oh my God, he won't shut up. Listen, <laughs> but I don't think God made Eve out of Adam's rib and then said, hey, you're married. And they're like honeymoon and they get to the honeymoon suite in the garden of Eden where they didn't have leopard print pillows. They had lepers just laying there, you know, <laughs> anyways, and, um, And Adam sits down on a zebra and says, Eve, I want to know you. What's your favorite color? Yellow. What's your favorite flower? Tulips. What's your favorite food? Sushi. No cucumber. Because that kind of knowing doesn't produce a child. That's right. Are you with me? That's knowing, but that's not an encounter. In Romans 7, he said, when you know Jesus, it produces good fruit that's alive. When you're free from self-reliance and you become God-dependent and you're in an encounter and relationship with him, it produces life. And the way that Adam knew Eve produced life, and now Paul's saying, I've had some encounters, they produce life, but I want to know him. He's not saying, I just want to read another book about him, those are good. I just want to read another verse, that's great. I just want to sing along of the song, that's wonderful. He's like, no, I want an encounter with him. I want to know him. And church, that, that is my heart for us, that, that when we meet, whether it's a weekend or wherever, that we're coming for an encounter. That we're coming and saying, God, I, I need a new encounter. I want to know you. Like, this is the place you're going to make yourself known. This, like worship. When I mean, we're in worship, it's like all of a sudden Jesus is center stage. This is the place. Yes, we're going to live stream, and if you're sick, you have symptoms, something's going on, you can't make it. We understand. We're not, we're not here to condemn anybody. I'm just telling you, there's a place of encounter called the house of God. Yeah. 
And as a pastor, I want not only you in the house of God, but I want us to show up in the house of God saying, we're going after an encounter. Like we're going to see him. We're going we're to know him. We're going to experience his grace and goodness. We're going to be close to him. It's not just about, do I have a relationship? Yes or no. We're not George Strait. We're not checking yes or no. We're saying, no, I'm going after you, Betty Sue, or whoever he was singing to in that song. And I just want us to go after Jesus, to have an encounter with him. Amen. Amen. Come on. Can you give Jesus praise? I want you to stand. Um, I'm going to ask our prayer team to come. And, and we, want, we want to pray for you. But first, we're going to pray together. I know we went long today. I'm going to work on that next week, I promise. I do. I really do. I feel, I feel bad. Um, you know, like I don't mind if God keeps us long, but I really don't want to be the one that does, you know. Will you bow your heads? And Jesus, your grace calls us to encounter. That's just the truth of it. Wow, what, what an incredible grace. That is, that is the remedy for all our imperfections and flaws and sins and brokenness. And yet here we are just completely destitute, broken and messed up. And yet you, your, your grace runs to us and calls us into encounter with you. As messed up as we are, as broken as we are, how amazing. How amazing. How amazing. God, don't let us ever miss a moment with you. God, I pray you'd, you'd make us hungry for, for encounter again. Like, like when we first got saved, like hungry for encounter. Just want to know you. Like, like we, we would surrender all of our, all our good stuff and our bad stuff, but all of our good stuff and all the stuff we know about how to have a relationship with you, God, we just kind of lay that down and say, God, you know, that, that's, that's all garbage, God. We just, we need an encounter. We want to live from an encounter to an encounter. So if you're here today and your heads are bowed and I just want to say maybe you're away from Jesus and, and the grace of Jesus is call, calling you into an encounter. I, I want to pray for you. No one's looking around. Will you just lift your hand up and say, that's me. My God's calling me into that. Yeah, if you're at home, lift your hand up. And I'm going to, I'm going to pray and yeah, thank you. That's awesome. And here's what I'm going to challenge you is I, I want you to come forward. If, if that's you, you lifted your hand. If you're in the room, I want you to come forward. Now, here, here's why. Because I, I don't ever want to be responsible, really, for birthing a baby and then just hoping it figures out how to make it. So if you're going to be born again or you're coming to Jesus, I want you to connect with a prayer team person because they're going to help you connect with our pastoral team. And we're going to help you live victoriously. Okay, we're going to help you stay connected and grow. 
And so I want you to come down. And you can come down now or you can come down at the end. But if you lifted your hand, I want you to come down. Um, I want you to make that declaration. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to follow him. Um, also today, if when we pray, if you need prayer for anything, we want to pray for you, okay? And if you're online and you need a relationship with Jesus, I want you to text my pathway prayer to 77977. It's on your screen. And we want to pray with you, connect with you the same way. We don't want to throw out a prayer and hope it works. We, we want to help you live successfully connected to the body. And so, Father, I thank you for these today that lift their hands. God, I pray they take that step and come down. God, if they were here and they didn't lift their hands, I'd still pray they take that step and come down. And God, they, they, they have an encounter. They make you Lord. They, they get a relationship with you. God, grace calls us into encountering a relationship. And God, for all of our church, God, stir us to be hungry for you, to seek encounter. God, what, what this world needs is to see a church living in encounter with you. So God, that's who we want to be. God, we thank you for your grace and goodness. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. Listen, I love you. You're amazing. Thank you for coming today. I'm sorry it went long. It will be shorter next week somehow. But until then, God bless you. I love you. I will see you next weekend. If you need to come for prayer, please come. If you need to get connected, stop by the tent. If you need anything from us, let us know. We'll see you next weekend.